Hello, everybody. This week on the Sportlight Podcast, we talk about having the courage to do the work, even when it requires some social risk. We talk about doing the work with individuals in our schools and communities in a way that makes a difference instead of just clearing a conscience. We're grateful you join us. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Hey, Dustin. How are you, man? Doing great, Shad. How are you? I'm doing good, doing really good. I'm excited to talk about this topic with you today. Yeah, me too. Let's get let's hop into it. This is going to be a good one. Awesome. So in our in our show prep, you shared a quote with me that I thought would be good to start with Teddy Roosevelt on this subject of of having the courage to take social risk and to really do work to make a difference in people's lives. And and you shared a quote with me that I thought was just awesome. Would you mind sharing that? Yeah. Sharing your thoughts on it. I will, and, and I'll preface it quickly with just reminding everybody that we have a motto, at especially for athletes, that's it's on wristbands that thousands of the kids and adults we work with wear on their wrist, and the hashtag we use and everything, and it's eyes up, do the work. It's living with your eyes up, being aware of things, being open to seeing things, but then having you know the courage and desire to want to do the work. So... With that in mind, I think that this this quote that you, uh, many of you have probably heard before, um, I know a lot haven't, but it's a very popular quote that, that Theodore Roosevelt sh- shared years ago, and it's entitled, The Man in the Arena. And it goes like this. It says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong men stumble or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short, comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms and great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. Um, there's a couple things in that, Shad, that uh, the whole thing. I love the entire quote. I love the meaning of it. But I, the, the part there towards the end really jumps out at me. The, um, you know, the person who, who knows great enthusiasms, great devotions, who spends himself in the worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and at the worst, if he fails, you know, knows that he, he failed while daring greatly, that his place will never be with those that know neither victory nor defeat. In other words, the guy who's willing, the person who's willing to be marred by dust, sweat, blood, to actually go in the arena, into the, you know, the, the, the microscope, 
to be criticized, to be uh, maybe embarrassed, but has the guts to do it, who's willing to risk in order to have feel life, whether it's good or bad, pain, sorrow, or joy and happiness. It's just willing to do it. That's the true soldier, right? That's the true difference maker. And when we say do the work, we're asking people in essence to put themselves in the arena, to be willing to put themselves out there and to bleed a little bit and to sweat a little bit and to be marred by dust and take it's not the opinion of the critic that counts. There's plenty of critics. Everybody's a critic. And there'll always be critics out there, you know, pointing the finger at those that are trying to make a difference. And the, the man in the arena doesn't care because his, his compass is set on what he knows is right. And, and especially for athletes, when we talk to kids or when we talk to parents, which are primarily the listeners, you know, of this podcast, are we teaching our kids to be the types that are willing to go in the arena and be criticized and maybe be pointed at and made fun of because they have the guts and the courage to do the right thing at all times because it's the right thing. And that's sort of what we want to dive into on this, you know, on this episode of this podcast and why kids are afraid, why they don't want to do it, what holds them back and what would happen if, if they, they'd be willing to step into the arena and really do the work, not do it because it's convenient or do it because it's easy. That word work is an important word in our program. And, and, and in this podcast, in this particular episode, we're going to dive in right to why that word work needs to be something that parents take the responsibility of teaching our kids. Yeah. And I love this quote, this, boy, that ends those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And right now there's getting involved in some of the things we encourage athletes to get involved in. There is some social risk to it. And if there isn't a social risk to it yet, then maybe we haven't done enough of the work, the real work too much is done in our society. I believe to clear our conscience, but not to make a difference. To, to say, oh, yeah, I'm part of these good causes, but I'm only going to insert myself in these efforts to make life better for people up until it starts to cost me something or yeah. up until the time where I need to take a, a social risk. And then I will, I will retreat. And the bad thing about that is that most of the work that really needs to be done to actually make a difference in someone's life it lies beyond that social risk, right? And one of the things that we talk a lot about too, the name of our podcast, the Sportlight Podcast, and the name of our book, it actually is less socially risky for athletes. You know, you imagine the, the quarterback at the high school. Yeah, kind of in some cases, whatever he says goes. Like there is some kids... It is more risky for them to put their, themselves out there. But sometimes these incredible athletes at a high school, they can set the tone and they can decide, hey, no, this is how we're going to be. And it's actually even less risky for them. So that risk threshold is that you have to pass. It's further down the road for athletes than it is for maybe some other kids at the school. And so 
I love this topic. I, I really feel like when we emphasize that word work, you know, that we're going to do things by design and not by default. We are going to teach our athletes to be willing to take a social risk and not just stay safe with those cold and timid souls who never know victory or defeat and to really live life, experience the whole thing, the whole gamut, you know, the, the thrill of victory, the thrill of making a difference in someone's life and the, the disappointment to seeing how bad people can be to people who try to be good. And to, just to embrace that, to understand that's the risk, but it's not going to keep me from doing good. And so I'm excited to talk about that, dive into it a little bit more, Dustin, because I think this is a really important subject. You also shared a video with me uh, um, of Nick Saban talking, and maybe this first portion where we're asking our athletes to really do the work and really take a risk. Coach Saban covers in this video that you shared with me. Do you want to tee up the video a little bit and then we'll share it? Yeah. Yeah. So Coach Nick Saban, Alabama, um, will go down as one of, if not, you know, the greatest college coach of all time when it's all said and done. But he has a pretty passionate plea that he shares in this story of a player of his who, and it's a fairly recent story, who ends up getting in a car accident. He's driving under the influence. He leaves a party. And his reckless behavior ends up costing the life of, of a lady who he, uh, he, he hits. And he talks about where was, there were people there with him before he got in that car that could have done something. Why didn't they? And this sort of feeds off of the podcast that we did on being a teammate and the difference between team members and teammates, right? Um, and this is an example of it and, and some other things that we'll, you know, we'll try to break down why and, and, you know, his question as to, you know, where was the teammate, where was the real friend? Uh, but he shares this sad story in this video. And I think it's something that would be wise for us to show our kids and have this sort of discussion with our kids or the, co the uh, you know, the, the boys or girls who coach. Okay, let's listen to it because you're afraid of what everybody out there thinks of you. Well, if there was a player in Las Vegas who was drinking at 3 o'clock in the morning with his buddies and his girlfriend, and somebody would have taken his keys away, probably would have pissed him off, probably would have made him mad, probably wouldn't have thought very much of you for doing that. But would he be better off now? Or is he better off where he was going 156 miles an hour running the ass into somebody and killing him? And he's in jail. And he doesn't have a career anymore. And he's a good kid. And he never had one problem on our team in Alabama. So what kind of friend were you? What kind of leader were you when you allowed the guy to do it? But nobody wants to do that. Because they're afraid of what somebody's going to think of. So definitely passionate Coach Saban's definitely passionate about this. You could feel his frustration. So let me pose the question to you that kind of this video poses, Dustin, and that is, why do you think no one stepped in? Why do you think no one did anything? What are the dynamics that are taking place where we watch our teammates do life-destructive things to themselves and to others, and we don't step in? Help me understand that dynamic a little bit. 
you know, I, I, I believe that all of us in general as human beings have a hard time having the hard discussions, especially with somebody who we're friends with, uh, because the friendship is valuable to us. We don't want to, we don't want to do anything that might damage or hurt that friendship. So whether you're, it's your teammate or it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just, just a, a friend of yours that's starting to do things. We, we want to love them and we want to not judge them. And we're told not to do those. We don't want to be judgmental of them. And so we just want to be there for them. And, but the hard part and the, the necessary part is that at some point there needs to be a kind of some, some moments that might be uncomfortable. We need to sit down and tell somebody, Hey, the path you're on is the wrong one. And, and I, I care for you too much to see you destruct yourself and, and self-destruct. And if it hurts our relationship or hurts our relationship, but I care about you enough. And to sometimes tell people you're out of line and we, as people, it's uncomfortable. We don't like to be uncomfortable. It's just, it's human nature. We don't want to have those, you know, those discussions. We'd rather be a friend than an ally. That's something that you and I have talked about before the difference in the two, um, you know, the, an ally, you know, might be a coach. It might be a, a partner, a mentor. It could also be your friend. Um, but a friend might not always be your ally. To truly be somebody's ally, and I'm reading this, by the way, of something I had written down uh, and, and studied. We had spoken on this to a group once about a friend and an ally. To truly be someone's ally, you might need to give them tough love, not warm and fuzzy acceptance and permissive leeway, but brutal honesty. You know, and, and, and allies have your back. They fight with you, but they call you out. You know, they're tough on you sometimes. They tell you when you screw up, when you're not doing the job you should be doing. And they tell you when you aren't living up to your own expectations. That's what an ally does. A friend, no matter what you do, I'm always here and I always love you and I don't want to wreck the relationship. And so I might not tell you the hard thing because that might cause you to not like me and then we're not going to hang out. And I'm not going to be your best buddy anymore. And so my job is just to no matter what, just, you know, it's okay. I'm here for you. That's great. Be a friend, but we got to be an ally too. An ally is interested in something getting done, right? If it's a country that's an ally with another country at war, you're in something together. But you're also going to tell that other country, hey, we need to do this differently because I have your best interest in heart, but there's other people that are also affected by this. So I'm going to tell you if something's, we need to change strategy here. I'm your, I, I'm with you, but I'm not such a, I'm not so interested in the friendship as I am in positive results happening. And as a friend, if we truly care about it, there was a sermon given once by a guy named Hubie Brown. He talked about uh, God being the gardener of our life. And it's actually entitled God is the gardener. And he, in that he talks about cutting down this old current bush when he was young and feeling like the bush talked back to him in the bush. He said, he felt like he heard the bush say, why are you cutting me down? I was getting so big. I was going to be this big shade tree someday. And I was getting, my branches were getting so long and I was big and strong. Why would you cut me down? And he said that he felt him, he talked back to the bush and he said, I know what's best for you. If I let you grow to be what big and this big bush, you're going to, you're going to eventually die. Your roots aren't going to be able to support it. You're not going to be what you're supposed to be. So I have to cut you down for your own sake. 
and that God's that way in our life sometimes, right? We have to accept the fact that sometimes things are going to happen to us because somebody else knows the better picture for us. And he loves us enough to cut us down sometimes. We, if we love our friends, we love our teammates, family members, sometimes we have to love them enough to trim them a little bit, to cut them down a little bit for the overall success of their life, knowing it's going to be uncomfortable. And that can be all summed up is it's going to be work. It's do the work. It's not do it because it's easy or do it because it's convenient. And that's why our motto is not eyes up, do it if it's easy, do it if it's comfortable, do it if it's- Do some good. Yeah, yeah, eyes up, do some good. Yeah, that's not what it is. And, and, uh, you know, that we gotta be allies more than friends. I love that. Our good friend Hank once said, he's spoken to our group before, but but he he said this quote, do you love your friend more than you love your friendship? That, that's a pretty profound question. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's sometimes it's these dramatic moments, right? It's guys obviously inebriated, getting in a car where someone should have stepped in. I hope not too many of our high school kids are seeing that, but they might and they need to step in. But they probably need to step in and say, dude, what are you doing? Stop drinking. Like, stop doing that stuff. Stop smoking weed. Like, you're going to ruin your life. But it might also be things like someone who thinks it's funny to skip the period after lunch and stay forever with a girlfriend at McDonald's. And you're looking at that. And as a team leader, it might be saying, dude, you're going to affect your future by these stupid decisions right now. And so it could be simple stuff as well. It could be the way that someone is treating another person. One of the things that I think would guide someone in this is the concept of praise in public, uh, correct in private, that it's probably something that you don't do in front of a bunch of people. But if you're really concerned about a friend, you know, take them aside and say, hey, can I talk to you about something? Let's go. Let's go get a milkshake somewhere. I want to talk to you about something. Dude, I'm concerned with how many classes you're missing. And I'm concerned that it's really going to limit your future. And you have a lot of a lot of ability. You have a really bright future. But I'm just concerned, man. You seem so much into this girl or into this guy. I've I've seen that before where uh, someone just becomes consumed by a high school relationship, right? And and sometimes a girl could take aside another girl and say, Hey, look, I know you really like so and so, but it's kind of becoming such a big part of your life that you aren't caring about school. You aren't caring about our team as much anymore. Like, do you even realize that that's happening? Of course, that's not always going to be a comfortable conversation, but it's way better than cheering someone off of a cliff, you know, just so you never had to have that conversation. And and I love well, that, that teaching from, from Nick Saban. Well, and doing it in private, you know, that's, that's a really, that's an interesting concept there, Shad, because if you do it in private, there's likely no um, compliments coming your way for, wow, what a leader you are. You know, I, I love your leadership on the field. I always see him getting on his teammates. I always, I always hear him, you know, saying stuff in the huddle and he's vocal and you just, you see that leadership in him leadership doesn't have to be in the public view all the time. In fact, the best leadership is done probably 
behind closed, closed doors in private. But the pat on the backs don't come that way, right? The only person that knows you had that conversation with them is the person you talk to. And they may or may not pat you, thank you later. They might. You hope that later they'll say, hey, that was an important uh, changing or, or, you know, direction changing moment in my life when you took me for that milkshake and, and kind of got real with me. But that's not the case. Your friend might say, forget you. And it might be a problem and they may not ever. But again, that's work. It's, it's, it's not a show. It's not to seek. You know, we say seek to bless, not impress. It's the fourth principle of, of especially for athletes. You're not doing it to impress others. You're doing it because you're genuinely interested in somebody and you see them going down a road that's not good you're not trying to be holier than now or judgmental yet we obviously have to recognize our own weaknesses and but to to when we love somebody enough to sit them down and say hey man i can't let you take the keys to the car or you've got to stop talking that way to people or you got to stop saying those jokes in in the hallway or making fun of people or whatever it is or cheating or drinking or whatever the thing is and we we do it enough to take the keys from them and heck man if we got to fight him wrestle him we're not giving him back to you i care about you that much it's going to be hard but those are the types of kids we're trying to find and my plea to parents listening to this is you may agree with everything we're saying but what are we doing are we having the hard conversations with our children about the need for them to do this are we practicing what we preach it's work for us to sit down with our son and daughter and talk to them about these exact things and to even tell them sometimes the truth and make sure they know how to accept it and encourage them to live this way at school. Or are we just hoping that somebody else does it? I've, I've said this before, it's probably maybe not a popular opinion to some people. It's not your coach's, it's not the coach's job. We hope our coaches do it. It's not the coach's job to teach your son or daughter how to be a respectful human being in the world. That's your job. Mm -hmm. Coach's job is to teach them how to run and block and tackle and dance and shoot and, and perform on the field. And in the process, hopefully not teach them to be bad people, you know, or cheat and things like that. And most coaches do a lot, you know, want to help kids with all these other things, but the buck doesn't stop with the coach. It's, it's something you hope they'll do but their job is they're not trained in how to make your son polite that's not they don't go through that training or to make him not cheat or to teach him how to not do drugs that's your job that's the job of the parent and we have to do better as parents put our own phones down get off social media stop preaching to our kids about putting their phones down and putting down social media and do it ourselves and have these hard conversations to build real leaders, men and women who are willing to step in the arena, we have to be willing to do it ourselves. Yeah, and I love that because there are some parents who unfortunately are hesitant to even have these needed conversations with their own children. You know, they're they're worried more about their friendship with their child, their relationship with their child than they are about the the outcomes of their child sometimes i don't think any parent would consciously say that you know like no i'm just way worried about being my my child's friend and i don't care about their future but sometimes if we aren't willing to engage in these crucial conversations then 
our child will could make those decisions. We need to be have, willing not only to have these discussions about kids being willing to have these discussions with their friends, but when we see these things in our own children, the way they treat people, the things they say, we need to be willing to have these conversations with them. And I love Dustin, what you said about, you know, when we have these conversations in private, it takes out any of the element of them thinking you have an ulterior motive. Yeah. I, now they might still react negatively, but at least it eliminates like, dude, don't do that to try to act like you're some leader and to try to belittle me and to try when we are willing to have it in private, it, it eliminates some of that cuts through some of those concerns that they might have and allows you to really just say, no, I, I really care about you. And that's why I'm having this conversation. No one will know we had this conversation. If you want to forget it, that's up to you. But I'm only doing this because I care about you. And and I think that that's a, you know, that's a really important thing that came out in what you shared there. I want to, I want to share a letter, Shad, that we just got this letter a week, less than a week ago. This letter came in through our website. And I want to point, the part I'm going to point out in this letter isn't the point that you're probably going to take uh, when you read this. I'm going to focus on something that may not jump out. But we spoke at a school two months ago. This letter just came in through our website two or three days ago. He said, I, I heard, especially for athletes, come to my high school months ago, my son's high school months ago, and I was so taken back by the program. It has changed my life and my son's life. My son was having a really hard day, the day that especially for athletes came to talk to us. Two of his teammates came and drug him out of the basement. He came and listened, and it has since changed his life. I had no idea about the pressure he was under to perform well. It was tearing him up inside to the point of contemplating suicide. I was lucky he had the confidence and the trust in me to come and talk to me about it after listening to especially for athletes he has through counseling and your program now improved and he is thriving thank you so much for your program okay the point that i want to talk in there that's not i'm not sharing this at all to say hey especially for athletes is you know is, is gonna save somebody's life I'm simply saying the point that jumped out to me was this. Two of his teammates came and dragged him out of the basement. Okay. That kid would not have come and heard a message that for whatever reason really resonated with him and his dad and helped bring a discussion up that they were able to discuss that they didn't, his dad didn't really realize what was going on until we talked about some things in our presentation that we discussed. One of those being the amount of pressure that kids are have placed on them nowadays, what social media is doing to add to that, and how we as parents have to be careful in, in watching our kids because of the epidemic of mental health issues and things, we have to be more engaged. And that led to them having a discussion. But he wouldn't have gone. He didn't go because his coach said go. His dad didn't, his dad knew about it. His dad obviously came. The kid went because two teammates came and drug him out. And two teammates didn't bring the whole team over. They didn't bring a camera to record it. They didn't post about it after two teammates knew we have a teammate that needs to hear this message that's coming up. Coach 
or somebody said, hey, I, I, you think you guys need to come to this? And they had the guts to go into the basement. I don't know if they literally drug him out. The dad says they drag him out, which to me assumes there must have been some sort of hesitancy. Yeah, resistance, exactly, to go. But they talked him into coming, and according to the dad, it's, he's now thriving, and it's, it's changed his life. That's because two teammates did the work. They didn't text him. Yeah, I invited him. I sent him a text. That's easy. That's not work. That clears your conscience. Exactly. That's your point about it. Service to clear conscience. It's, it's us checking the box that, well, I tried. I sent him a text. I posted it. Right? I put it online. I put it on our group chat. Okay, that's easy. That literally takes you five seconds to do, and it clears your conscience, but it's not work. Work is going over to somebody's house, having a conversation with them and say, you're coming to this with us, man. Whether you want to or not, you need to come and we need you there. We love you. We need you. You're part of our team. You got to come to this with us and having that discussion because you care about your friend. And that's, that's what we're talking about. Not clearing your conscience, doing the work. Uh, yeah. And you know, this applies, Dustin, if we talk bullying, if we talk someone who's lonely at the school, are we really doing work? Are we going to the point that there's some social risk or are we just like, sometimes it service even feels a little bit self-serving, you know, where, where we're doing it more for the social gain we get from it rather than the benefit that's coming to the person. And only the person who does the service could ever judge whether that's what they're doing or not. But We've shared a number of times um, a, a picture of a young lady in the Sudan who was famished, and uh, this this photographer was at a feeding station, is what they called it. They had set up these feeding stations where people could migrate to it and get some food and water, and uh, and he was just overcome by what he saw at the feeding station, and he decided he was going to just walk off into the bush a little bit to get away from that. He was so emotionally taken back by it. And I just want to pause here and note that this man had left a very wealthy family in Southern Africa to go up to the Sudan to take pictures and to bring attention because of what happened with this picture. This guy got a lot of flack from people who would never leave their homes and do anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're just reading Time Magazine. And this picture that he took ended up being winning a Pulitzer Prize and being on the cover of Time Magazine. And uh, the picture is of the young lady kind of bent over and of a vulture behind her. I'll put it up here on the YouTube. But um, and And when it won the Pulitzer Prize, this man was asked, Probably what all of us would want to know is, as we look at this picture, like what happened to that, that child? And his answer, he said, you know, I just, I, I sat there and I, I was crying. He was weeping under a tree, looking at this scene. And I was praying that that vulture would fly away. And when I realized that the vulture wasn't flying away, I scared away the vulture. And, uh, and then I watched this little girl kind of struggled out of sight. And I hope, I hope that she made it to the aid station and everyone was enraged. You know, everyone was just, how could you not help that little girl? But there was way more to the story, right? That there was dozens of people around. He had just been 
consumed and overcome by what he had saw. He was just in shock at the at just the scene. And and everyone got so mad at this guy. And as I think about what made people mad, they're thinking in their mind, I would have picked that girl up and I would have carried that girl to the aid station, right? Like I would have done that. And if there was a dozen people around, I would have taken her and come back and got more. That, that's what we all like to think we would do. But as you and I have gone around and shared this story with people, we try to share it in a way that is super compassionate toward the cameraman, not judgmental of him. But what, what we realize is that we face in a micro way these little situations all the time, right? For example, we see a kid who people are just kind of poking fun at at school or on a team. Sometimes a teammate becomes the brunt of all the jokes or, or a kid, just people are kind of poking fun at this kid and they act like they enjoy it, but no one enjoys that stuff. Or, or the kid who's lonely at their school. And like this photographer, you know, we might look and see it. And the easy thing is to pray that that problem goes away. Not to engage at all, just to notice eyes up and the work that I'm willing to do in quotations is now, man, I'll pray, man, please help that kid and help him to be nice to that kid or help that kid to find a friend. Or sometimes we like scare away a vulture, right? The problem with scaring away a vulture in that situation is it will just go in a circle and come back and, and be there with the kid again, right? And so it's a very temporary solution. And sometimes we do these things that really don't, we don't have to engage. There's no social risk there. There's no sacrifice at all on our part, but we just do, oh, I'll wave Adam in the hall. I'll say hello. I'll invite him to a dance. You know, this, this adaptive needs kid, which all these things we should be doing, right? And we aren't saying don't do these things. These kids need to go to the dances, these kids, but it doesn't come with much risk or much effort. And a lot of times it brings a lot of positive attention to us. But what we're talking about is picking people up and carrying them to the aid station. And what does that look like? What does someone who's lonely really need? They need a friend. They need a group of people to hang out with. They need someone to eat lunch with. They need someone to hop in a car with and go to lunch. They need someone to invite them on a Friday night to do things with with a group of people. They need people to get to know them and to love the uniqueness that they bring to the world. They need someone to be amused by their unique sense of humor and to find value in it. And they need someone that when they show up, that people are, are happy that they're there. That's the work. And sometimes that takes a little bit of social sacrifice. Sometimes that takes a little bit of of getting out of your comfort zone. That takes sometimes going back to that quote, you know, yeah, sometimes you're you're going to know defeat when you put yourself out there. Sometimes there's going to be negative consequences that come to you from doing this level of engagement in someone's life. However, you could be a cold and timid soul that never knows the feeling of really impacting another person's life to avoid feeling 
the defeat of, man, I tried to help them, but something negative came to me. And, and that's, that's our message to people, right? Whether it's bullying, whether it's loneliness, whether it's drugs, alcohol, cheating, whether it's being consumed with things that are taking you away from more important things in your life. Athletes have the sport light, and the message we try to share is, yes, it's risky. That's why we're asking you to do it, <laughs> because yeah. you have the sport light. Your influence is powerful, and we're inviting people to truly engage in other people's lives, not to just go up to the line where it would, where it would then entail some social risk. We want athletes to push beyond that and actually help people, save people from themselves sometimes. And, and so that's, that's what we're inviting. That's what we mean when we say, do the work. Be, be courageous. Be the, the definition of courage isn't doing hard things. That's just being gritty. That's just being relentless. Courage is doing something that you're afraid of. In spite of your fear, you do it. It's facing your fears and doing that that you're afraid of. That's what courage is. If we, we as parents and as coaches need to be challenging and teaching our kids and following up with them and asking them when they come home from school rather than just, how was your day? What did you do courageous today, son? Hmm. Some of the things you're afraid of. You're, you're not, I know you're afraid to go talk to people. It's not your thing. You'll go stand in a batter's box in front of a thousand people and look at a 90 mile an hour fastball and strike out four times and come back the next day. And you've, you've moved on. Like you, you're, you're okay being embarrassed in the, in front of a thousand people. That doesn't make necessarily, you know, you're not afraid of that, but going up and talking to somebody at school and introducing yourself and listening to somebody and trying to make a relationship is hard for you. Did you do it today? Did you try? No, I didn't. Why? Like, how can we do it? Let's practice it. I want to challenge you to do it tomorrow. Those are the types of things that if we really want to make a difference and change culture, which is hard to do, if we really want to see suicide numbers, um, if we really want to see mental health issues and things improved on, we have to teach kids how to be in the arena and not just assume that they're going to have the tools to handle the arena just because. They just, just because we feel compassion in our heart, like you said, because we, you know, we feel pain for people. That's not compassion without work is just feeling sorry for people. That doesn't get anything done. I feel sorry for people. Okay. If the whole world could feel sorry for somebody, truly have their heart hurt for somebody's pain and not do one thing to help the person eliminate the pain. Because again, feeling sorrow for somebody without the courage to do something to help them, even though it might be hard and you're not uncomfortable doing it, it's out of your comfort zone. That's, we have too many of those. Eyes up is easy, man. We have a lot of people with their eyes up. They see things. They go on social media and they complain about it. Or they go on social media and with a hashtag or you know whatever the popular post is at the moment, show their support for a cause or their support for a movement by posting something that's trending. That's is that hard to do? It checks the box. My moral box tells me that I'm I did the right, you know, I'm I'm supportive. I I'm sensitive to that matter. I'm whatever. But where does the work? How does that fix the problem? 
Yeah. Got to get your hands dirty and be willing to work. And, and it won't happen and we won't change lives if more adults don't do the hard thing, parents and coaches, and have those discussions. And then those kids that are the tip of the sword type kids, the real sharp, ready, willing to go and do it. We've got to encourage them to do it, thank them when they do and, and help them when they do and make sure that we're, we're, we're sensitive to how hard it is to them and, and encourage them to keep doing it because they really are the ones that are going to save lives and change culture. And we're trying to find those kids everywhere we can. Yeah. And when they do put themselves out there and some negative consequences happen, we need to make sure they know how absolutely proud we are of the fact that they would take a risk to try to help another person. There's nothing I would be more proud of than my daughters, my children putting themselves out there in a way where they tried to help someone, they knew it was risky, maybe it didn't work out the way that they hoped, but, but really valuing that courage within them to try to help other people is, is just so awesome. And, you know, Dustin, you and I, we get those emails and we kind of get to be on the front row of seeing there are youth out there who are courageous, who are doing the work, not just the easy stuff, not just the hashtag service, but the getting their, their hands dirty, putting themselves out there in a risky way to really a socially risky way to, to really help people. And man, they inspire us. And we just want to inspire more people to be like them because they're the ones that are going to change this world. And parents and coaches could really value that and call attention to it when they see it, take a kid aside and thank them for who they are and what they mean. And, and they can help with these crucial conversations themselves. And so, Amen. Thank Amen. you, Dustin. Thank you. Hey, we have some really exciting things coming up. I thought it might be good to, to tell people what to look for on our social media accounts. Yeah, yeah, we, we do. Please, um, everybody, that, that if you have a child and you live in the, the Utah area, we've got a handful of events that we're going to try to pull off again. We had done them in every spring for years and then got you know, thrown off the rail a little bit by COVID, but we're going to try to implement again, these, these leadership summits where we've had hundreds of kids come out to these half day events. We're doing a little bit different. Instead of doing one big event, we're going to do three smaller events, but those are going to be the last week of April and the first week of May. We'll have that information coming out. It's free of charge. We're going to have stuff to give the kids, food to give the kids, some really, really great guest speakers coming and it'll only be an hour or two that we're going to spend with the kids um but we hope that they'll you know they'll participate in that we've got some really cool athlete spotlights we're going to be doing online you're going to see some of our athletes some of our college athletes that have been in our program for six seven eight years talking about the impact that that eyes up do the work still has on them we'll be posting those and things and We'd we just ask you if you like them, if you could share it, if you could share the podcast, if you could reach out to your your club president or your coach or your high school or junior high school and talk to them about bringing us in to speak to your even the entire school. We have a whole other message that's not specific to athletes. It's about living with your eyes up and doing the work. And those are fun assemblies to do. They're interactive. 
maybe we could come and talk to your whole school, your son or daughter's junior high or high school. So any of the help that the public can give us, but we've got some really cool things, you know, coming out. We want to thank, you know, Swire Coca-Cola and, and Costa Vida and, you know, Murdoch Chevrolet and some of these different sponsors who have helped us, um, to enable us to do all this and not have to charge the kids. So yeah, follow us on social media and get involved. And if you are far out there, we know that this podcast has further reach than, than you might be able to come in person. We do have the ability to zoom some kids into those experiences, some coaches, some parents. So if, if anyone hears this and would like that, you can uh, contact us on our social media pages or uh, Dustin at especiallyforathletes.com or Shad at especiallyforathletes.com. Just reach out to us. We'd love to zoom you into those meetings and at least give that part of the experience. Then you can take your kid out and get them some food. So, because <laughs> we nice. can't do that virtually. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for joining the Sportlight Podcast. Eyes up, do the work. This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforathletes.org slash book.